Hello and welcome to Iris for Sunday, January 7th, 2024. We are now into the new year. Last time you heard me, we are just closing out 2023. So hopefully 2024 is off to a good start for all of you. Let's uh, begin with the five-day forecast for the Siouxland region. Today it'll be partly sunny with winds from the south-southwest at 6 to 12 miles per hour. We're looking at just a high of 28, so it will remain below freezing throughout the day. Tonight, there'll be a little snow late in the day. Um, the winds east-southeast, 8 to 16 miles per hour, and a low of 23 degrees. Monday, occasional wet snow, 1 to 2 inches. Winds east-southeast, 8 to 16 miles an hour, high of 34, low of 22 degrees. Tuesday, breezy and colder, winds north Northwest, 12 to 25 miles per hour, high of 25, low of 6 degrees. Wednesday, mostly cloudy, winds southwest, 8 to 16 miles per hour, high of 26, low of just 8 degrees. Thursday, colder, breezy in the afternoon, winds northwest, 10 to 20 miles per hour, 15 degrees is a high, 0 degrees Fahrenheit as a low. All right, so obviously very chilly and not particularly uh, comfortable weather. All right, let's now turn to the front page of the Sunday Sioux City Journal. Headline, Head of the Band. Subheadline, Bishop Helan Drum Major Takes Top Honor at Peach Bowl. Bishop Helan High School Senior Cahill Cal Cal Kirkpatrick likes to lead. The 18-year-old son of Leslie and Jay Kirkpatrick of Bronson, Iowa, practices that leadership in a physical way as the high school marching band's drum major. He was named the Peach Bowl's outstanding drum major during competitions in late December at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. The Helan Band program was selected by Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl Committee Scouts to participate in the 2023 Bowl Game festivities. As drum major for 2023, the 2024 school year, Kirkpatrick said he learned about leadership from his father. Quote, I always love being in leadership positions, learning by example from my dad, who was a professional baseball player as he traveled the world playing baseball, Kirkpatrick said. Seeing how you can laugh, joke, have a good time, and still be very successful in what you do. Kirkpatrick started in fifth grade band and worked his way up through high school. Over the years, he observed the drum major was the person everyone in the marching band looked to. Quote, you know how to operate the room and you know how the kids... And you feel if you can be put in that position, you could take the program to the next level. Our band director was put in the spot where she had drum major additions, and I guess I just blew it out of the water, so here we are. For the uninitiated, Kirkpatrick compares the drum major of a marching band to the offensive coordinator of a football team, with the band director operating as a football team's head coach might on game day. Quote, during performances, they are up there giving tempo. They are the student body leader of the band, Kirkpatrick said. Kirkpatrick's signature move was inspired by a video of the 2008 Phantom Regiment's Spartacus performance. The competitive junior drum and bugle corps is based in Rockford, Illinois, and has won in world competitions. Kirkpatrick's move starts with the baton behind his neck and then moves it to the front in a big sweeping motion. Quote, that's exactly what I did, and everybody likes that, and they always comment on that. I guess that is my signature move. Kirkpatrick said he tries to be more fluid and expressive in his motion. 
Quote, other traditional marching bands, their drum major is more rigid and keeps doing the same thing over and over, where mine kind of varies depending on how the music is played out and how it is written, he said. When he recently heard his name name announced for the quote, outstanding drum major at the Peach Bowls Awards Banquet, Kirkpatrick couldn't believe it. Quote, it's like you always have that feeling, could it be me? You know, I want to say that I am a lot different from a lot of other drum majors. I'm not as traditional as some of them. Our band director, Janet Larson, just kind of lets me be free to do what I want to do, but stay within some kind of parameters, Kirkpatrick said. Quote, you're just hoping that being different just kind of pays off sometime, and it did. He did to participate in the Peach Bowl. He did say that participating in the Peach Bowl was an, quote, intense experience. Quote, we were just the whole time going 1,000 miles an hour, he said. The size of Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta was a surprise for Kirkpatrick as well. Quote, when we actually got down there for marching band, being the first one to run out of the tunnel was a pretty surreal thing, he said. The Sioux City High School band marched in the pregame parade and performed the Star-Spangled Banner along with other high school bands at the start of the game on December 30th. The Healing JS band took first place while the marching band and concert bands finished in second place in a series of Peach Bowl competitions. Quote, it was a great experience, and then towards the end when we had the practices with all the other bands, it was super cool because you were playing in that giant stadium with 650 other kids. All the drum majors are up there together doing their thing. It was super cool. What comes next for Kirkpatrick? The senior is, quote, 99% certain he will attend Oklahoma State University next fall, majoring in music education. Well, good luck to you, young man. Good luck to you. All right, returning back to the front page. Headline, GOP lawmakers vowed to be, quote, proactive on nursing home woes. Subheadline, Democrats say more accountability is needed following <clears throat> up reports of neglect. From Des Moines, Iowa House Republicans say they plan on being, quote, proactive in addressing concerns about staffing shortages, turnover, and care at Iowa's nursing homes, but provided few details ahead of the upcoming legislative session. Senate Democrats have rejected a request by Democrats for a state oversight meeting to investigate nursing home care in the wake of recent reported deaths, abuse, and neglect in Iowa care facilities. Documented instances include lack of access to food and water, lack of access to adequate medical care, including medications, wound care and pain management, and lack of access to ambulance services. A Woodbury County care facility recently was cited by the state for retaliating against a woman who reported she was raped by one of her male caregivers. The Iowa Capitol Dispatch reported the woman allegedly was given 30 minutes to pack up her things before a taxi was summoned to drop her off at a homeless shelter. Senator Claire Selsey, Democrat of West Des Moines, the ranking member on the GOP-controlled Senate Oversight Committee, said Iowans, quote, want and deserve full accountability and transparency, calling it a matter of life and death for impacted Iowans. Quote, we have a critical responsibility to ensure state departments are carrying through their legislatively assigned functions, Selsey told reporters last month. The nursing home crisis is real, and the state has an obligation to investigate and provide workable solutions. Quote, calling it, calling, calling it a, quote, very regulated industry, Senate Majority Leader Jack Whitver, Republican of Grimes, said GOP leaders continue to talk with stakeholders about issues impacting Iowa's long-term care facilities. Quote, and we don't necessarily need an actual government oversight meeting just to beat somebody up, Whitver said. Quote, we want to go to find the problem and get the solution, and that's not always going to happen. That's always what happens in those oversight meetings. A lot of that's just a show to beat, go beat somebody up. Well, we want to get it fixed for Iowans because that's what I really care about. 
Whitford did not provide details about how that would happen in an interview with the Gazette ahead of the start of the 2024 legislative session Monday. He said Senate Republicans have, quote, continued to make investments in our nursing homes to try to get them on stable footing. State lawmakers last year provided an additional $15 million to nursing homes through Medicaid reimbursement funding. He and Senator Amy Sinclair, Republican of Allerton, Oversight Committee Chair and President of the Iowa Senate, also pointed to legislative efforts to address workforce shortages in the industry. Quote, since 2017, the Senate has increased funding for nursing home care by nearly $75 million, increased incentives for high quality of care to over $111 million, and passed critical tort reforms to ensure nursing homes can continue to provide services in rural Iowa, Sinclair said. Governor Kim Reynolds declined to be interviewed for the Gazette's legislative series. Governor Reynolds has increased Medicaid funding every rebase year as a governor, leading up to $163 million of new funding going to nursing facilities to increase quality of care for students. Colin Crompton, Deputy Communications Director for the Governor's Office, said in a statement, Rebasing is the process of adjusting nursing facility rates to more current cost data. He said Reynolds has addressed the healthcare workforce shortage by investing $20 million in apprenticeship programs while allocating more than $4 million to a program to recruit doctors and other healthcare professionals to rural communities. Quote, Governor Reynolds believes solving healthcare workforce shortage and addressing funding is the path to improving long-term care for Iowa seniors, Crompton said. The governor's office also raised concerns over a recent proposal from the Biden administration to implement minimum staffing requirements in nursing homes. Reynolds joined 14 other governors who issued a statement opposing the mandate. Reynolds, in a joint letter signed by the Republican governors, argues the proposal imposes an unfeasible standard because of a nationwide staffing shortage made worse by the pandemic, and it could force more nursing homes to close their doors, quote, eroding access to health care for some of our most vulnerable citizens, Reynolds wrote. Quote, such challenges are especially acute in rural areas, the letter states. Despite this, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services requirements would force over 80% of the facilities nationwide to hire more staff at a time when workers, particularly RNs, have never been scarcer. Advocates for older Americans have been calling for such a requirement for more than two decades, arguing that residents are safer and have better care with more staff, but the industry has successfully resisted thus far. All right, let's now turn to page A2 of the Sunday Sioux City Journal. Headline, Trump called out challengers during Sioux Center stop. From Sioux Center, Iowa. During a Friday speech in Sioux Center, which stretched more than 100 minutes, former President Donald Trump complained to a crowd of about 500 people at the Terrace View Event Center, quote, you, can, you can't have any fun in these rather terrible times, end quote. The grievance came as Trump repeatedly warned rally goers of possible nuclear war, mused about death penalties for drug dealers, accused President Joe Biden of targeting him through the federal court system, claimed members of the Catholic Church were being persecuted nationwide, suggested the November election would be rigged against him, and took swipes at the personalities of his 2024 Republican primary challengers, and said the country had become an embarrassment after he left office following his loss in the 2020 election. Quote, we're going to hell. You don't mind me using that horrible word, do you? Trump asked early in his remarks, which began with the, quote, we're going to get take our country back. The stop was part of a blitz Trump is making through the state with less than two weeks until the Iowa Republican presidential caucuses. In the coming days, the GOP frontrunner will make appearances in Sioux City and Cherokee just one day before the caucuses, as well as Newton, Clinton, Atlantic, and Indianola. After 
instructing potential caucus goers on how to support him, Trump touched on the school shooting in Perry, Iowa, which left two dead, including the 17-year-old shooter, and seven others injured. The Associated Press reported that Perry High School principal Dan Marburger put himself in harm's way so students could try to escape from after the shooter opened fire in a cafeteria students were gathering for breakfast before class. Cole, I want to send our support and our deepest sympathies to the victims and families touched by the terrible school shooting yesterday in Perry, Iowa. To the entire community, we love you, we pray for you, and we ask God to heal and comfort really the whole state in the pain that you have, Trump said. Quote, this is something that's very unique to your state. We're really with you as much as anybody can be. It's a very terrible thing that happened. It's just horrible to see that happening. It's just horrible. So surprising to see it here. But we have got to get over it. We have got to move forward. But to the relatives and all the people that are devastated right now, to a point they can't breathe, they can't live, we are with all of you, with you all the way. We're with you. We love you. We cherish you. Trump uh, then began attacking Biden for his handling of immigration. Trump, who launched his 2016 bid for the White House by saying immigrants coming from Mexico are rapists, spent as much time talking about immigration as anything else in his speech. He told the crowd America's borders had completely disappeared under Biden, which led supporters to cheer, build the wall and build the border. Quote, as we speak, the last remnants of our open border and broken border, our open and broken border are completely leveled as millions and millions of people storm into the United States in the largest illegal mass immigration. There's never been anything like what you're watching on television, said Trump, who recently defended comments about migrants crossing the southern border, poisoning the blood, quote, of America, in parentheses, which multiple politicians and experts on extremism have said is reminiscent of language used by Adolf Hitler. Without specific evidence, Trump said so-called elites were bringing in undocumented immigrants because they are stupid, hate America, and want to win elections. In parentheses, a 2022 story from the Center for Public Integrity, a nonprofit investigative journalism outlet, reported such claims have been made for more than 100 years. In a passage where he referenced the ongoing Israel-Hamas war, which has killed more than 17,000 Palestinian civilians and 1,200 Israeli civilians, Trump bragged his administration had no problem with, quote, Islamic people who wanted to come in and uh, come in and blow the hell out of our cities. As remedies to the problems, he alleged, the Trump talked about building a wall along the United States southern border with Mexico. During his time as president, Politico reported Trump built a mere fraction of what he promised, 452 miles of wall, most of which replaced old existing fencing. When he raised the prospect of capital punishment for anyone who made it across the border with illicit drugs that kill a person, members of the crowd cheered. He said within the legal realm, everything... Everything moves slow, with one exception. Quote, I'm tired of being tried for bullshit. They, as the trials go fast, Trump said, as the crowd laughed. Though average is of Iowa polls show Trump with commanding lead over the Republican field, he still made sure to take shots at his opponents, especially Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and former UN Ambassador Nikki Haley, who served two years under Trump for almost, who served under Trump for almost two years. Trump, who endorsed DeSantis in the run-up to this 2018 bid for the governorship, boasted he took him from zero. In parentheses, the Florida governor has noted a number of times he won by even more in this 2022 re-election when Trump did not endorse him. Quote, you need a personality and there's not a lot of personality there, Trump said of DeSantis and what's needed to run for president. Trump wasn't the only one slamming DeSantis. At one point after Trump called DeSantis de-sanctimonious, a running joke on his last name, a person in the crowd said de-snooze fest. 
Leading up to Trump's speech, Iowa State Senator Lynn Evans, a Republican of Aurelia, quote, said, We can't afford to put a candidate in office that will require at least two years of job training, a kind of pushback to DeSantis saying the GOP cannot afford to make Trump the nominee because he would only get four more years in the White House if reelected on November 5th. Evans, a former superintendent of the Alta Aureli School District, also said the 2024 election represents a battle of good versus evil. While speaking at Johnny Marr's family restaurant in Sioux City Wednesday, DeSantis sprinkled criticism of Trump throughout the 40-plus minutes he spent speaking to and taking questions from patrons of the popular diner. DeSantis accused Trump, who hasn't appeared in a GOP primary debate and has maintained a lighter campaign schedule in Iowa than his opponents, of, quote, making a mockery of this whole process by not showing up and addressing people's questions. Trump left the Sioux Center stage Friday afternoon without taking questions uh, from the crowd. Though Trump picked Haley as his first UN ambassador, he said he, quote, did not enjoy her. Quote, Nikki sucks, a fan yelled out. Echoing attacks other 2024 GOP hopefuls have had, Trump criticized Haley for receiving donations from top Democratic donors. As a combined attack on Haley and DeSantis, Trump speculated either one would be bad for ethanol in Iowa. In 2021, the state produced more than 4.5 billion gallons, according to the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association. He mocked each one's poll numbers as well. When Trump previously held an event in Sioux Center on January 23, 2016, less than two weeks before that year's caucuses, he remarked that he could, quote, stay in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? Question mark. The former president was scheduled to make a stop at Dort University, but the event was moved because, quote, the vision of Donald Tr of the Trump campaign and Dort were incongruent, according to a news release from the private Christian college. Quote, the Trump campaign started the process of lining up a campaign stop, but desired a full rally format, uh, the news release stated. Dort understood that President Trump's visit would not be publicized until the format was finalized after the new year. Ultimately, the vision of the Trump campaign and Dort were incongruent, and the event will not take place at the university. In early December, the university, in conjunction with Representative Randy Feenster, Republican of Hull, hosted four of Trump's challengers in the 2024 primary. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, former UN Ambassador Nikki Haley, Ohio businessman Vivek Ramaswamy, and Texas Pastor Ryan Binkley. Trump did not participate in the event and has yet to appear at any event with the two-term congressman for Iowa's 4th District. As it stands, an average of Iowa polls on 538 data website shows Trump with a 31.6% point lead over DeSantis, a 34.3 point advantage over Haley, and a 44 point edge against Ramaswamy. No Republican field in a no Republican candidate in a competitive field has won first in the nation caucuses by more than 12 points. This year, Iowa voters will head to caucus sites at 7 p.m. Despite the polling, Trump repeatedly urged attendees to go in caucus because it shows strength. Quote, the only way to get hurt is to sit home and watch the great results on television, Trump said. All right, our next story from the local area is regarding Briarcliff University, um, one of the major academic institutions of Sioux City, uh, the Jesuit uh, school of Briarcliff. Headline, Schulte resigns from Briarcliff. Briarcliff University has appointed interim president following the resignation of Dr. Patrick J. Schulte, who was named the Sioux City College's 12th president less than a year ago. Coach Schulte is pursuing other personal and professional opportunities following a recent engagement and accepting a new executive leadership position with Donnelly College in Kansas City, Missouri. 
Briarcliff said in a statement released Friday evening. Steve Freeman was unanimously appointed the interim president. A formerly retired business professional with experience in higher education and pharmaceuticals, Freeman served on Briarcliff's Board of Trustees for 12 years and as chair from 2018 to 2022. Quote, while this news is unexpected, we want to assure you of the Board of Trustees' confidence in our leadership, employees, students in this institution. We wish Dr. Schulte the best in his future endeavors, said Steve Stauffer, Briarcliff Board Chair. Steve Freeman, a Sioux City native, is a longtime supporter and incredible member, mentor, leader, and friend of many within the Briarcliff and Siouxland community. We look forward to his continued leadership and support as we navigate the next phase of Briarcliff University's future. Schulte joined Briarcliff in June 2021 as Vice President of Finance. He served as the interim president starting in July of 2022 before being named president in March of 2023. Stoffert said Freeman's leadership, character, and long-standing Briarcliff connections across the country will help propel the university forward and make the path smooth for the next president. The, the statement said the, pres, the presidential search plans will begin in the near term. All right. Well, um, as kind of said in previous broadcast, the Sunday edition uh, is a little bit smaller on local and regional news that I try to focus on when I read for you are listeners of Iris. So let me now switch to uh, yesterday's or Saturday, January 6, 2024's edition of the Sioux City Journal, which is actually has its physical analog. Um, all right. So the front page of Saturday's paper um, headline, Precip- Precipitation Deficit Continues, headline, Rebounding Rainfall. Headline, Sioux City's 2023 precipitation total rebounds to near normal level. Okay, well, I guess that's some good news. Let's read the article. Sioux City saw its highest precipitation total in four years in 2023, but it wasn't enough to reach the normal annual mark. That 27.6 inches of moisture fell short of the normal total of 29.27 inches, the fourth year in a row that Sioux City has seen below normal precipitation. But coming after 2022, when the 15.34 inches received ranked as the third driest year on record, Sioux City in northwest Iowa, thanks to a wet September and October and, and another inch or more of rain at Christmas, are in much better shape heading into the coming growing season than a year ago. But we're definitely in a better position than we were last year, said Justin Gilson, Iowa State climatologist. There's still a lot needed, but we banked some. In records dating back to 1896, 2023 ranked as Sioux City's 53rd wettest year, boosted by a warmer, wetter December than normal that saw 1.59 inches of rainfall plus 1.5 inches of snow. Much of that rain soaked into soil not yet frozen solid. That rain, plus 9 inches that fell in September and October, almost twice the normal amount, boosted soil moisture levels after the summer months and will benefit crops planted in the spring. It's a big improvement from the severe soil moisture deficits that much of Northwest Iowa was experiencing a year ago at this time. Leah Ten Naple, a field agronomist with Iowa State University Extension Outreach in Lamars, said soil moisture across much of Northwest Iowa is near normal or to slightly below normal. Quote, we're not totally in the clear, but compared to those fall 2022 numbers, we're definitely much better, Ten Naple said. It was great to get that fall moisture, we're sitting in a much better place. The near normal precipitation slowed a growing moisture deficit caused by four years of drought. Since January 
2020, the Sioux City has received 85.98 inches of precipitation. If totals had been at normal levels, the city would have received 117.08 inches. Quote, that's one year's worth of precipitation Sioux City has missed out on over the last four years, <clears throat> Gilson said. The past four years of drought are the longest period in Iowa since 1954 to 58 and have been marked by a lack of rainfall in May, June, and July, which are typically the wettest months, Gilson said. Above normal rainfall in May helped get crops off to a good start, but true to the recent four-year weather pattern, precipitation was below normal for June, July, and August. Those months also saw fewer longer soaking rains to boost soil moisture. Instead, there were smaller rain events that dropped a quarter or a third of an inch what Gilson called hanger-on rainfalls, had helped crops survive through the summer. Some areas, 10 Naples said, didn't receive those timely rains and crop yields suffered. The more severe drought conditions have moved from northwest Iowa to the eastern side of the state, which saw annual rainfall totals far below normal in 2023. Precipitation in and around Sioux City may have been close to normal this year, but much of the region is still short on moisture. The U.S. Drought Monitor's December 28th map showed Sioux City <clears throat> and a small section of Plymouth County in the four-corner area of O'Brien, Clay, and Buena Vista and Cherokee counties are no longer in drought. The remainder of northwest Iowa is mostly abnormally dry, with swaths of moderate drought in the northwest corner of the state and in southern Woodbury, Ida, and Sac counties. Southern Crawford County is in severe drought. In northeast Nebraska, Cedar County has emerged from the drought. Northern Dixon County is also no longer in drought, but conditions in the southern half of the county, as well as Dakota and Wayne counties, range from abnormally dry to moderate drought. Thurston County is in moderate and severe drought. Southeast South Dakota is abnormally dry, and southern Union Clay and Yankton counties have no drought. Not surprisingly, the increased precipitation this year improved those conditions from a year ago, when much of the area was in severe, extreme, or exceptional drought. Weather patterns and outlooks are favorable for more moisture into early 2024. Gilson said the three-year La Nina pattern in the Pacific Ocean has tra transformed into an El Nino, which usually leads to warmer, wetter winters in Iowa. Outlooks for March through May suggest precipitation in northwest Iowa will be near to above normal. To truly make up for the past four years of drought, the area needs to see twice the normal amount of precipitation from May through August, Gilson said. That at least starts to put a dent in it, he said. All right, so after the rain, which is an important part of our very agricultural dependent area, let's now turn to the next story on Saturday's paper, which is about foreign land ownership. So we have the water to uh, nurture our crops, but also the next big question is issue is about who gets to own uh, land uh, here in Iowa. Headline, legislator may tighten law over foreign land ownership. Subheadline: Republicans still split on CO2 pipelines. We'll hear a review of energy laws. Iowa lawmakers say they expect to see bills in the upcoming legislative session to tighten state law on foreign ownership of farmland. Whether those proposals would remove exemptions for some foreign land buys, requiring more reporting by foreign and corporate entities, or push state agencies for more enforcement of farmland uh, transactions still is uncertain. Quote, we don't have a caucus bill we're starting day one with, said Iowa Senate Majority Leader Jack Whitver, Republican of Grimes. Quote, but I do believe that is an issue our caucuses is interested in, and I would suspect that we'll see a, a bill at some point about foreign ownership of land. The Gazette interviewed legislative leaders, environmental groups, and other state house watchers about 
natural resources and agricultural legislation they expect to see when the 2024 legislative session starts Monday in Des Moines. According to them, the hottest topics are about energy, pipelines, and farmland ownership. The issue of water quality may get limited exposure through a bill that seeks to relax restrictions on developers because Republicans have majorities in the Iowa Senate and House. GOP lawmakers will set the agenda on what bills will be considered. Foreign investment in Iowa farmland more than doubled in the last 10 years to nearly 514,000 acres in 2022. But Iowa still ranks in the bottom half of states for acres with foreign investment. Iowa's law governing foreign ownership of agricultural land is one of the strictest in the nation. More than 90% of foreign investment in Iowa farmland is for long-term leases, not land purchases for wind projects, a Gazette investigation showed. The top counties, countries uh, with investors who own or lease Iowa farmland are Canada, Italy, Portugal, and France. But that hasn't stopped fears about Chinese investors taking advantage of exceptions in Iowa law. But if our law has loopholes in it, as far as foreign ownership and things like that, we'll be willing, we'd be willing to look at that, said Iowa House Speaker Pat Grassley, Republican of New Hartford. House File 642, introduced last year, would let investors from allied foreign countries to buy agricultural land and get tax credits if they are willing to invest at least $1 billion to build a manufacturing or research facility in an approved MEGA, M-E-G-A, or Major Economic Growth Attraction site. Quote, when I first heard of this about a year ago, I was thinking, quote, over my dead body, said Senator Ken Rosenboom. Republican of Oskaloosa, who is vice chair of the Senate Agricultural Committee. He's been concerned for nearly two years about foreign and corporate ownership of farmland and the shell companies that can be used to conceal ownership. Quote, now that I know a little bit more about it, uh, that being House File 642, there is an economic development component that has value. Representative J.D. Scholten, Democrat of Sioux City, said he plans to introduce legislation to require more transparency of all agricultural land transactions. A Gazette investigation last year showed that an investment arm of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints owns at least 22,000 acres of Iowa farmland, and a Tennessee family has bought at least 5,000 acres in northwest Iowa using at least 10 different names. On June 1st, Governor Kim Reynolds signed House File 617 into law, which requires an independent review of the Iowa Utilities Board's responsibilities and procedures. The process would ensure the board's further safe, adequate, reliable, and affordable utility services with non-discriminatory, just, and reasonable rates for Iowans. The Utilities Board hired a consulting company to do research, gather public comments, and produce a report to the legislator, which it delivered December 14th. Among its findings, the 200-plus page review calls for utilities to regularly update their long-term resource plans as markets, technology, and policies change which would ultimately better inform the Iowa Utilities Board during rate-making decisions. It also recommends utilities to periodically update their rates to reflect fluctuating costs of, services, of service. The consultant questioned the need for Iowa's advanced rate-making principles in which the Utilities Board pre-approves new energy projects and their costs to incentivize more energy generation. Most recently, board, the Board pre-approved two aligned energy solar projects. The review also proposes the Board evaluate how spending caps enacted by the legislator in 2018 may limit utilities' energy efficiency and demand response programs. If invested in more, the programs could help customers control their energy consumption and costs. During the upcoming session, the consultant will present its findings to the House Commerce Committee. 
Quote, we want to make sure that the Iowa Utilities Board has the tools that they need to make good decisions for the ratepayer, said Representative Shannon Lundgren, Republican of Piosta, and House Committee Commerce Committee Chair, who first initiated House File 617. Quote, we want to make sure that we have reliable service here in the state of Iowa, and it's affordable for Iowans, and that we're not paying for energy being shipped out of our state, end quote. The Iowa House last March passed a bill that would require companies wanting to build a carbon dioxide pipeline to get voluntary easements for 90% of the pipeline's route before being granted the right to force sale through eminent domain. Representative Jennifer Cornfist, Democrat of Des Moines, the House Majority Leader's Minority leader, excuse me, said many Democrats would like to see how Iowa Senate see Iowa Senate consider House File 656 this session. Some of us were comfortable with the compromise bill passed in the House because it's a start, she said. But Whitford said he doubts that there is consensus among Republicans. "Quote: We have some of the strongest eminent domain laws in the country right now," he said. There are people in our caucus all over the board. Some are very supportive of the pipeline. Some aren't as supportive of the pipeline. The Utilities Board now is considering a permit application by Summit Carbon Solutions to build a 2,000-mile CO2 pipeline with nearly 700 miles of it in Iowa to transport carbon dioxide from ethanol plants to underground sequestration sites in North Dakota. Navigator Heartland Greenway decided in October to abandon its plan to build another CO2 pipeline because of an uncertain regulatory path in several states. Wolf Carbon Solutions, which has proposed a pipeline from ADM plants in Cedar Rapids and Clinton to a sequestration site in Illinois, continues to try to secure voluntary leases in Iowa and Illinois, the company said. Pipeline opponents on the political right and left have been vocal about their concerns about safety and the use of eminent domain for a private project. Last year marked the 10th anniversary of Iowa's nutrient reduction strategy, a two-pronged plan addressing nitrogen and phosphorus pollution in state waterways. Last spring, legislators slashed funding for a statewide network of water quality monitoring sensors. It's unclear what laws the legislators' Republican majority may enact this year related to water quality. Senator Annette Sweeney, Republican of Alden, who is chair of the Senate's Natural Resource Environment Committee, said she wants to continue funding water quality improvement projects like saturated buffers and bioreactors, but only if they're making an impact. Quote, first of all, I want to see progress, she said. Quote, what have we been doing with the money that we have been given? Sweeney is also re-proposing a bill that would require any property abstract or the history of a property to include if it lies in a drainage district. Drainage districts are areas that our agricultural lands drain into, often complete with infrastructure like tile lines, levees, or ditches. Senate File 455, introduced last year by Senator Scott Webster, Republican of Bettendorf, would limit the ordinances that counties or cities can enact for topsoil preservation and stormwater runoff mitigation at construction sites. Well, in places where there's a lot of development pressures, there can be real issues with erosion, steam, stream degradation, and flash flooding, said Alicia Vasto, Water Program Manager of the Iowa Environmental Council. To say that developers are not required to do any kind of stormwater management up front puts the city and therefore all the citizens of that community responsible for that new expansion and development. All right, let's now turn to um, the local story about the Cat Cafe um, coffee and purrs here in downtown Sioux City. Headline, cats removed from coffee and purrs by the Humane Society. The Siouxland Humane Society has removed all of their cats from coffee and purrs in downtown Sioux City. 
The main study has been providing cats for the cat cafe and the coffee shop since January 2023. The announcement was made Friday afternoon on the Siouxland Humane Society Facebook page. Coffee and Purse is currently closed according to a handwritten sign on the door of the business. Owner Megan Thompson did not respond to the journal's request for comment. The main study did not provide a reason for moving the cats. Quote, we will no longer be partnering with them. Thank you all for your support according to the post. Please look to adopt cats daily at our shelter or Petco at, and at the Southern Hills Mall and PetSmart on select weekends. Coffee and Purse is the first business of its kind to open in Sioux City. Located at 504 Nebraska Street, the business offers a place for people to purchase a latte, frappe, or other specialty drinks from the coffee shop and then visit the separate cat section. The main society was providing approximately 10 cats to the cafe where they could be visited and adopted. In December, the cafe celebrated having 100 cats adopted in the year they have been open. Well, I thought it would be benefit Sioux City a lot, Thompson said, of Coffee and Purse in January 2023, one year ago. Quote, usually the Humane Society is always full of cats. Their goal for this place is to get more cats adopted out to Sioux City and also provide them another safe space for them to be in while they wait for their forever home. In order to open the cat cafe, Thompson had to convince the Sioux City Council to change the municipal code. The council voted unanimously in favor of a zoning text amendment to alter the definition of animal boarding. The previous definition of animal boarding prohibited the keeping of animals for profit in the downtown commercial zoning district. The zoning text amendment approved by the council changes the definition of animal boarding to permit the cats to reside in the cat cafe overnight. The animal welfare portion of the Iowa Department of Agriculture that oversees inspections of establishments housing animals. The Coffee and Purse has not had an inspection since it opened in January 2023 and the facility's license expired in 2025. Facilities are inspected once annually according to the Department of Agriculture. All right, let's now return back to a story I mentioned discussing last week as we kind of went through like the top 10 stories of 2023 as selected by the Sioux City Journal's editors. Headline, Sac County Sheriff, quote, using every resource available in David Schultz's case. Sac City, Iowa. The Sac County Sheriff's Office reiterated on Friday in a Facebook comment that investigators are, quote, using every resource available in David Schultz's missing persons case. Schultz, a 53-year-old Wall Lake truck driver and father of 10-year-old twin boys, disappeared under mysterious circumstances shortly before Thanksgiving. Quote, the Sac County Sheriff's Office in the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation are using every resource available to us. We have not and will not release details of this investigation while it is ongoing, which leads to wild speculation that we are not doing anything. This could not be further from the truth, the comment, which was posted to the Sheriff's Office Facebook page, said. Schultz's case has attracted the attention of locals and online sleuths worldwide. Many have joined Schultz's wife, Sarah, in her pleas for FBI involvement. Sarah Schultz has repeatedly called her husband's disappearance, quote, suspicious and said, quote, this is not something David would do. He would never leave. His family is his life. During a December 14th interview with the journal, Schultz expressed frustration with local law enforcement and said she feels the case is more than, quote, a small, than small town police can handle. Quote, this is not normal. This is like an abduction. Like someone took him, she said. They need help. I want the FBI. It's been long enough. End quote. That same day, Sac County Sheriff Ken McClure told the journal that he is confident his office in the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation will eventually solve the case. At that time, McClure said the FBI wasn't involved in the case and that there was no indication a federal crime was committed and no proof that state lines were crossed. Quote, the Division of Criminal Investigation, their resources are just as capable of getting the information we need. And really, we're looking for the proverbial needle in a haystack, he said. 
Schultz's red Peterbilt semi with white stripes was found on the afternoon of November 21st parked in the middle of the northbound lane of County Road N14, not far from what it intersects with D15 in northeastern Sac County. The truck was shut off, the lights were off, and the key was in the ignition. The trailer Schultz rents was loaded with pigs, but he was nowhere to be found on that stretch of paved roadway which is flanked by cornfields. Sac County Sheriff's deputies found Schultz's wallet and cell phone inside the truck. A towel, cell phone charger, and pocket knife were found with his coat on the opposite side of the road. Since Schultz went missing, the United Cajun Navy, a Louisiana-based nonprofit, and volunteers have scoured more than 100,000 acres in and around Sac County. Anyone with information about Schultz's disappearance is encouraged to call the Sac County Sheriff's Office at 712-662-7127 or email brown, as in the color, at sacsaccountyiowa.gov. And Iowa spelled out all four letters. All right, let's go to the state and nation section of Saturday's paper, that being Saturday, January 6th. Headline, Physicians Say Proposed Abortion Rules Vague. Subheadline, Board of Medicine Considering Rules While Ban Remains Blocked. From Des Moines. Proposed rules meant to provide guidance to physicians performing abortions under a new law that remains tied up in court are too vague and restrictive and would hinder efforts to recruit and retain physicians, doctors and opponents argue Thursday to the Iowa Board of Medicine. The warnings came during a public hearing in advance of the board meeting January 12th to review feedback and further consider rules for the implementation of the law that would ban most abortions after about six weeks of pregnancy. Lawmakers last year passed and Governor Kim Reynolds signed into law House File 732, which remains tied up in court, during a rare special session of the legislature. It would change the amount of time women have to seek abortion from 20 weeks post-first fertilization to as little as six weeks, before many women know they're pregnant. The legislation prohibits abortions after cardiac activity is detected in an embryo. The law quickly was stayed by a Polk County District Court judge who granted a request from Iowa abortion providers to halt enforcement of the new restrictions until the law's constitutionality can be considered by the courts, while allowing the process that will draft rules for the law's implementation to continue. The proposed rule rules include specific guidance on how medical providers are to implement exceptions for rape, incest, fatal fetal abnormalities, and medical emergencies contained in the new law. While the ban contains some exceptions for abortions, some Iowa physicians have warned the restrictions do not account for complications that occurred during pregnancy and would hinder their ability to provide care and respond to time-sensitive issues. Quote, there is no set of rules that ever adequately addresses the spectrum of pregnancy emergencies or private reproductive health decisions we are entitled to make for ourselves, said Leah Vanden Bosch of Des Moines, said during the hearing. Bosch said she struggled with severe depression and eating disorders and chose to receive a, life, a safe and legal abortion due to medical concerns pregnancy would raise. Republican lawmakers and supporters of the law say the exceptions allow medical providers to exercise judgment and provide abortions when they believe one applies. Opponents contend that the uncertainty and worry among physicians of potentially losing their medical license could prompt providers to put off abortions if they're uncertain. Under the proposed rules to determine whether patients qualify for the exceptions for rape and incest, physicians would be required to gather details from women to determine when a sex act occurred, including if and when the act was first reported to law enforcement, 
a public or private health agency, or a family of physician. Doctors would be required to document the information in the patient's medical records and make, quote, a good faith assessment that the woman is being truthful and may require them to attest the information was true and accurate to the best of her understanding. Dr. Emily Bovers, an obstetrician gynecologist in Waverly, said the rules mandate medically trained professionals to try to interpret legal concepts. Dr. Rebecca Shaw, an OBGYN and associate professor at Des Moines University, speaking on behalf of the state sexual assault response teams, encouraged the board to consider input from sexual assault nurse examiners before implementing the rules. As for determining whether a fetus has an abnormality that in the physician's reasonable medical judgment is incompatible with life, doctors would be required to document diagnostic tests and procedures performed and the results along with the description as to why they support the diagnosis. Sue Huppert, Chief External and Governmental Affairs Officer at Des Moines University, said she worries the rules will prevent the full scope of medical training necessary to practice in Iowa. The University of Iowa houses the only obstetrics and gynecology residency program in the state. However, Huppert said that there has been interest from other healthcare organizations to create another residency program in the state. She urged the board to consider national accreditation requirements that are needed for the programs. Iowa has among the fewest OBGYN specialists per capita of any state in the country, according to data from the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. One third of Iowa counties are considered, quote, maternity care deserts without a hospital or birth center offering obstetric care and without any obstetric providers. According to a 2022 report by, March, by the March of Dimes, a nonprofit focused on maternal and infant health. The lack of providers, particularly in rural areas, force expecting women to frequently take off work and drive long distances for appointments. Quote, obstetric, obstetrician gynecologists are already rare in Iowa, Bover said. Quote, and I do anticipate that adopting rules like these will make that situation even harder. Bover said that she is the only OBGYN at the hospital where she practices and has been unable to recruit another to replace two who retired. Quote, treating our patients as people who needed to be interrogated about their traumas and treating providers as extensions of government needed to gather these details and document them and what should be records that reflect medical care is going to jeopardize our ability to form a bond with our patients and provide them good care, she said. Quote, and it's going to jeopardize our ability to recruit and retain providers in the state, end quote. Stephen Wallhe, a physician and member of the board of Unity Point St. Luke's Hospital in Cedar Rapids, urged the board to provide better clarity to, quote, help some avoid some of the risks that our providers face under these uncertain types of parameters. Quote, this is not a Democrat or Republican issue. This is a healthcare issue, Wally said. Physicians are very risk adverse. They have their patients' interests in mind, and when they're faced with this dilemma of not knowing whether they're going to be adversely affected in their careers, making clinical decisions is not the appropriate dire direction they need to be faced with. All right, next uh, local or state uh, issue involves uh, uh, nutrition for children and the funding uh, for school nutrition programs. Headline, Iowa Dems push to reverse state rejection of summer food aid from Des Moines. Iowa State House Democrats will push to reverse a decision from state officials to opt out of a federal food assistance program for low-income children, party leaders said during a forum Thursday. House and Senate Democratic leaders made their remarks during the Iowa Capitol Press Association's annual legislative session preview forum. Republican leaders and Republican Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds declined to attend the forum. 
The State Department of Health and Human Services announced in December that it would not participate in the 2024 Summer Electronic Benefits Transfer for Children program. The program would have given $40 per child for each of the summer months for families who qualify for free and reduced lunch during the school year. Instead, Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds said the state would expand existing programs that, quote, leverage partnerships with community-based providers and schools who understand the needs of the families they serve. Quote, federal COVID-era cash benefit programs are not sustainable and don't provide long-term solutions for the issues impacting children and families, Reynolds said in a statement in December. An EBT card does nothing to promote nutrition at a time when childhood obesity has become an epidemic. The Health and Human Services Department noted that the state would have been required to spend $2.2 million in administrative fees to cover their share of the program. On Thursday, Senate Democratic Leader Pam Yakum of Dubuque said she had reached out to Republican colleagues who make up the majority in both chambers, asking them to join Democrats in reversing the decision to reject the aid. Quote, some of the arguments the governor's made in terms of why she rejected that funding just don't wash, Jockham said. They just don't wash. It has nothing to do with the obesity, even though she may claim that. Democratic Senator Isaiah Knox issued a statement last week calling for collaboration among all stakeholders to address food insecurity in the wake of the state's decision to opt out of the federal program. Republican Senator Mike Costello, vice chair of the Senate Health and Human Services Committee, says it's unlikely Republicans will pursue legislation to increase funding for food assistance for low-income families. But he said he supports state officials' decision to pass on the federal program and focus attention on existing state programs. Quote, the department has a lot of different programs for feeding children, Costello said, and they feel like they can work with the latitude they already have to meet those needs. Representative Jennifer Cornfist of Windsor Heights, who leads the House Democrats, said she is skeptical there will be any support from Republicans to reverse decision or expand funding for low-income families to make up for fe- the federal dollars. Quote, I don't know that there are bipartisan opportunities, but Democrats are ready to work on those, Cornfrist said. Quote, I just don't believe Republicans are willing to stand up to the governor on this really disastrous and offensive decision. All right, let's look over to the business section, page A7, where we look to um, Ho-Chunk, Inc. and the Casino, a casino Report. Headline, Nebraska Mayor Refutes Casino Report. Ho-Chunk's Lance Morgan disagrees from Bellevue, Nebraska. Bellevue and Sarpy County should not be denied benefits of hosting a horse racing track casino, Bellevue Mayor Rusty Hike said Tuesday. Hike said the proposed Bellevue Downs racetrack casino in his community would help pull revenues from neighboring Iowa casinos and fit well with an entertainment district that city officials hope to create featuring a proposed water park. Hike said the gambling facility would likely generate more revenue than a state consultant estimated and would help maximize tax revenue for the state, city, and county. A consultant's report prepared for the Nebraska Racing Gaming Commission forecasts that a Bellevue facility would generate about $60.7 million in revenue, but some of the revenue would be pulled from existing racetrack casinos. The Warhorse Casino under construction in Omaha would lose $24.7 million if the Bellevue facility were allowed, the report said. Lance Morgan, chief executive officer of Ho-Chunk, Inc., the parent company of Warhorse, said that the last week that the state law prohibits approving a new racetrack casinos if they have a detrimental impact on the existing market. Quote, this study kills Bellevue, Morgan said. Warhorse, economic development arm of the Winnebago tribe of Nebraska, is developing racetrack casinos in Omaha, Lincoln, and South Sioux City in partnership with the Nebraska Horsemen's Benevolent and Protective Association. Kino operator John Hassett, who applied to the commission to license the proposed Bellevue racetrack and casino, disagrees with Warhorse's reading of the law. He said his casino 
would increase overall state revenues and his track would race quarter horses so it wouldn't compete with thoroughbred tracks. Hassett notes that the state report estimates that there is a pool of 500 to 1,000 Nebraska-bred quarter horses that could race, significant for our quarter horse racing industry. The quarter horse racetrack will be a unique draw, he said. We will expect to be very popular with the public because quarter horse racing provides a faster pace race experience. The state report, however, said Nebraska has no need for additional horse racing tracks beyond the ones already licensed. Only Fauner Park in Grand Island offers a full racing schedule, it said. A proposed track in Ogallala would race quarter horses. Voters in 2020 approved a ballot initiative linking casino development to racing licenses. That means that anyone who wants to build a casino in Nebraska, other than the six existing racing licenses holders, must win state approval for a racetrack. Currently, there are six licensed racetracks eligible for casinos. Legacy Downs in Lincoln, Funner Park in Grand Island, Horseman's Park in Omaha, Adokad in South Sioux City, Fair Play Park in Hastings, and Columbus Exposition and Racing in Columbus. Hike said the proposed Bellevue racetrack and casino would complement a year-round indoor-outdoor water park that city officials are studying and hope to develop in an entertainment district, he said. The district would be located in one of the corners of U.S. 75 and 34. The racetrack, casino, and water park would have the potential to further attract hotels, restaurants, and other entertainment options, he said. Bellevue and Sarpy County should not be denied the benefits of hosting a facility, Hike said. Situated along the border with Iowa, the city's location provides a unique opportunity to pull revenue from southwest Iowa, northwest Missouri, and Cass County, Nebraska, and Sarpy County, which have populations over 200,000, he said. Bellevue officials said that other market studies estimate the Bellevue racetrack and casino revenue are between $102 million and $112 million. So, a lot of news. I couldn't even actually cover it all. They actually put quite a bit of content in the Saturday paper. Well, friends, that brings us to the end of Saturday, January 7th, 2024's reading of the Sioux City Journal for both kind of Saturday and Sunday this weekend. I hope you all have a wonderful start to 2024. Take care of yourselves, and if you can, someone else. Bye-bye.